0: stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw I would be Bradshaw and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer Oklahoma's favorite son Mr. Gerald Briscoe and we got the hardcore legend himself Mr. ECW ECW champion he's been booking all everything all over the world one of the best guys in the business one of the smartest guys in the business Mr. Tommy Dreamer Tommy welcome to the show
1: well thank you for having me it's an honor and if you really think about it back in 1997 i met the both of you at the same time that's right you did in an auspicious debut but i thought we were going to actually fight but that's a whole other story that we can tell here oh, oh yeah the
2: I, I just when you i didn't know what you was talking about until you said uh well i we thought we were gonna fight then the the, the light bulb went off and tommy other than that, uh, that, uh, that one uh, uh, meeting that we had there, and I've always respected you. I've always thought you were a tough-class guy, man. I enjoyed working with you through our, our stay at WWE. And uh, John, John and I having this show on, you know, we get to talk to old friends, and we, 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 your name comes up, and we both said, why not? Man, Tommy's a great guy. We both enjoyed his company. So welcome to the show. Welcome to story, man. Let's have a good time today and laugh, tell some funny old road stories. I'm sure you got a million ECW stories that's never been told before, so we're looking forward to hearing some of those.
1: You got it, uh, you guys trigger my memory, and uh, we'll just go. I love it, and thank you for having me. It is, it's yeah, great
0: Mr. Briscoe. To- all that being said, that first night you wanted to fight him.
2: I, 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 yeah, if I had if, 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 I, I, I was so mad that uh, when I got to back, I was going to beat the fuck out. Of, excuse me for saying I don't usually <laughs> use those words, but that's how mad I was. I was going to beat the you know what out of Bruce Pritchard. And he started that chubby cheeks, so he started kind of shaking. And I said, "How can I beat up a guy with chubby cheeks? Like it looks like a baby."
1: <laughs> when we talk about how the business has changed, we all met at Raven's place. He had a place right on South Street, and none of us were smart in the sense of we're listening to Paul, and Paul says Vince knows, and we're just going to run with it. And none of the boys know, and any of this stuff, and like, okay. We also had what I would like to deem as snipers in the building, where we had the Dudleys, we had the Eliminators, because here's me and Salmon. Who are the
2: Eliminators? I'm sorry. Uh,
1: Perry Saturn and John Cronus. John is no longer with us. Uh, Perry, as you know. um, And and we had other wrestlers stationed through the crowd in case a real fight breaks out. And I'm going into enemy territory Where, and me and Raven, Raven's like, eh, it's gotta be a work, it's gotta be a work. They have to know, they have to know. And I'm like, I don't know, man. So I'm with Sandman and Paul. Sandman uh, would fight. Paul, I know, will just get in my way if I'm fighting. But we're like, you know, hey, this has to, you know. But just going in there totally blind, not knowing what's going on. And I remember we did it, the whole place is popping. The first time I ever really meet John, he walks by me. And I've seen this look uh, when he was drinking. Uh, later on, when we became friends. He gets the T-Rex look, where he starts to bend over, and he gives a look at me, and you know we're p- playing it up. And Dutch is giving us a look like, "What are you doing?" And then when everything goes down, uh, I remember you, Mister Briscoe, like it was yesterday. I saw rage and hatred in your eyes, and you know I'm working, and you and I'm like, "Whoa." This is real. And I hear under your breath, you go, You motherfucker, I'll fucking kill you. And I'm like, in my head, how am I gonna fight Jerry Briscoe right now? And I was just, you know, I I watched this man at you know, Starcade, all these great events, and I'm just it's like, What world am I currently living in where this is this is as real as real can get? And you were ready, you would have killed me, Paulie, and Sam in, in a heartbeat. You were you had such rage and hatred in your eyes
2: and no offense but any sniper you would sit down there you didn't have a chance
1: i know trust me
2: <laughs> jerry when did you get smart enough you didn't get smart enough till you went out there right i didn't get smart enough till uh, i was headed over the barricade and bruce grabbed me by the back of my pants i don't know who i was going after i don't was it you Tommy? i don't know you who had
1: you had pure hatred for my uh i was
2: brother. i was headed over the i had one leg over the damn my barricade and Bruce grabbed the back of my pants and shouted, it'll work. And by then I just lost all my, all my aggression toward the people in front of me and it immediately turned to that, that, that <laughs> a-hole behind me.
3: <laughs>
2: He's getting and hot all, already on the way out, man. He tried to pat me on the back and, you know, me, you know how Bruce is be jovial about it. And when we got through those curtains and Bruce, you're lucky I'm your Friggin' friend, because I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> about that time, three or four people kind of got in between because they knew I was hot, man, and you were too, John.
0: <laughs> I was, but but uh, what most people don't know, and I I told this one of Bubbles on here was I got smartened up kinda right before I walked out. So Savio had been smartened up, and I saw Savio the other day he was telling a story, and I didn't want to correct him because he was you know in front of people, uh, because he doesn't know. Uh, right before I walked out, Lanza pulls me aside and says, Hey, if anything happens out there, don't overreact. And I said, Jack, you're not gonna tell me, don't overreact to something that might happen unless something's going to happen. And Jack's sitting there with that cigarette and he goes, You heard me. <laughs> and then, then that was it. So when the when the beer sport, when you, were,
2: you guys were coming from the dressing room, right? Or from no, the match.
0: Yeah, I was. That was that was coming right before I went out. So I don't know who went out first, whether Sabio or me. But right before I went out, that's when Jack pulled me aside because I that was so stupid. Because why would you smarten up Sabio and not smarten up me? You know, if you throw beer on Sabio, the other guy's gonna be the one that that jumps in. And they told Sabio put a rope around my neck when it happens to keep me back. And I'm like, <laughs> that's that's so dumb to think just smarten me up. Well, so I think that's what Lanza did. And I don't know if that was with the blessing events or if Jack just kind of did that as a favor or whatever. But when the beer got thrown on Savio, I guess Sandman spit the beer on Savio. Savio makes the move and he turns right to me, puts a rope around my neck. He goes, easy, cowboy, let's go back in the ring. And I realized then that this was what was going to happen. And I knew at that point that, that this was all part of the show because I, Jack had smartened me up. If Savio, if Jack hadn't smartened me up, I, I don't, I think I'd have tried to get loose from Savio
1: when we're sitting there Paul leans over to Sandman and tells him when the time is right spit your beer at Savio." and I'm sitting there I'm like what and he goes we're gonna go as soon as Sandman spits his beer and I'm you know okay but I mean in in the world where you know especially with wrestling now like it's just something that could never ever happen again you know it was just so insane where you say like none, nobody knew we yeah, were. That is insane.
2: That, that number, number one, Tommy. That just don't happen. I mean, even even in our day, I mean, you know, something like that, it just didn't happen. You yeah. guys, you guys set it up, and it was perfect. I mean, without spending eight hours the entire day of rehearsing it, like they do, uh, you know, every bump that's taken nowadays, you know, and and back in those days too we had to spend a lot of time rehearsing uh, we I'm taking anything away from today's guys, because we did it too. We had to rehearse too. But uh, if the thing was just set up so perfectly and, and, and executed so well with you guys, uh, I mean, it, you know, in my mind, it, it was, it was, it was a survival night. I was, I was, and I was going to survive. I don't yeah, know. And I was, I was too. Going. I
0: mean, if I hadn't been smartened up win, lose or draw, I'm going over the rail. Win, lose, or draw. You know, you have to. You have no choice at, at that point.
2: I had one leg over the damn round. <laughs> how close I was before Bruce grabbed my back of my pants. <laughs>
1: and years later, uh, a wrestling company called XPW kind of tried to do the same thing. And during my match and the entire locker room, including Paul, emptied out into the arena, into the crowd. And we're fighting for real in the streets of Los Angeles live on pay-per-view while my match is going on uh, because they try to do something similar and they uh, paid the price for it. But well, yeah. was good.
2: an awful lot at risk, you know, when, when you do something like that and you're hoping for the best, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and fortunately, you know, all the timing just had to be just right on, on, on Bruce, you know, keeping me, cause I, I, you know, I probably would have got trampled out there. you know, Cause there's a bunch of you guys and uh, you guys, you guys were, were serious about it too. So, uh, it, it, it could have it could, it could have turned out, but you don't know want it turned out great. Turned out to be what something that we're still talking about today. What 20 <laughs> some odd years later. And, and you know, the, the, the joke was on me for, from Bruce Pritchard, And I said, that's one of the things I hate Bruce Pritchard about. one of them that's all jerry jerry you
0: know, for people that don't know you you and i are bruce's only friends and we're not Uh, good friends so yeah no that's just one of uh quite a few things
1: (laughs) hey one of my favorite things that jod used to always do uh this was i guess bruce's i don't know what number run in the wwe but when i was there and bruce (laughs) would be like standing there doing something like you know if we're doing a pre-tape and all of a sudden Bradshaw would interrupt it and go Bruce, what do you do? Like seriously, what do you do? And he's like, ah, you know, well what are you doing? And John would be like, no, I'm serious. Like what do you do here? You're you're on, you're sometimes on creative, you're sometimes a producer. Like what, what is your actual title? And like he would just be Bruce and never get an answer but John would do it all the time or bust whatever he was about to do.
2: <laughs> and we still hadn't figured out what he does. We don't we didn't know, know what he knows, And he's still and there it, making all kinds of money. Like, yeah, he's back for his 18th run, and uh, and, <laughs> went and they still don't know what he does. I guess that's the reason he comes back so much, cause they let break Bruce and He was good or whatever it was that he did. You know. <laughs> hey, you know, and just
0: to finish that thought with the invasion,
2: you know what stopped the boys
0: was Lanza. You know, while Briscoe and Richard were going to the arena, the boys were coming from the locker rooms. They were coming out. Yeah. And Lanza meets them at Gorilla and says, "It's a work." And they're still mad, but now they're not, yeah, okay, all right. Now they're just as mad at, like Jerry is, they're they're mad at <laughs> who didn't smarten them up.
1: We also, if you go into an alternate universe, what if, what if the boys made it out there and it would have just been the realest fight ever live? And we would have been outnumbered and got our ass kicked. Well, which... oh, you're
2: outnumbered 50 to 10, probably. Yeah, but yeah. Tommy, we might still have a job, dude. like a Pritchard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and every question I got to ask you. Every, every guy we've had on here from the New York Metropolitan era, was you at Madison Square Garden when Jimmy Snooker flew off the top of the cage?
1: Uh, in the greatest, uh, I guess, spectacle of professional wrestling, myself, Bully Ray, uh, Mick Foley, and Little Guido were all at the same show at the same time. All there being- you have it, Jerry.
0: <laughs> everybody, tell me, everybody we ask about that show, they tell us they were there.
1: No, it, I'm telling you, it's me, Mick, Bubba, and Guido were the were the four guys to make it in wrestling that I know that were there.
0: Did you guys know each other at the time? No.
1: Bubba was like a fat kid from Long Island. Guido was. Was,
2: <laughs> what, what do you mean was? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mr. Briscoe, Bully is uh, uh, lean. I know. Don't
2: oh, oh, kick my ass. I love yeah. Bully. We had Bully on for two
0: bully hours. Bully looks incredible yeah, right,
2: right now. I mean, he looks incredible right
1: now. To quote your friend, Bruce Pritchard, the gra- the, one of the greatest things he ever said was, I could deal with the reformed drug addicts. I could deal with the wrestlers who found God. I can deal with the reformed alcoholics, but there's nothing worse than a fat guy who's gotten himself in shape because they'll tell you how to eat, what to do, how to live their life.
2: <laughs> and what they weigh hourly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bruce was the same way. We went on that water diet, you know. I think it was who, whose brother was that had all those pills in Philly that he was pushing all you know, the diet, diet, dietary. But it was Mosh or or one of the one of the headbangers had a brother that was in the nutrition well. Real, real <laughs> yeah, so he got us started. There
0: a few pills pushed in Philadelphia. <laughs>
2: yeah, and they weren't weren't always vitamins either. But mine was <laughs> I lost. of ECW. Dollars. <laughs> uh, and I think Bruce lost about sixty-five pounds. and He got down really, really? he got down scary, scary skinny. He would on oh, they say, "Yeah, you you carried around distilled water a gallon. you drank three gallons of distilled water a day, and it took about sixty pills four times a day. And I I got I got down the lowest I'd been since uh, since college wrestling. You know, about about one seventy or something like that. Ron and I were at
0: some wrestling convention or something, and we, we run into Bubba, which we're always – we love Bubba. We're always glad to see him. So we sit there and talk to him, and when Bubba walks off, Ron goes, you know he's on some good shit. <laughs> 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 he is He's rock hard right now. I mean, he's freaking got shoulders, his arms, are not an ounce of fat on him.
1: And uh, we have been having a fat battle. See, I'm one of the few guys to actually pull the vet card on Bully because I got him into ECW, so – but in our entire wars where we have fat wars, you know, you're so fat all the time. I have never ever weighed more than him, but I think I'm, we're approaching each other. He's probably around 289 to 285. And I, uh, I, had, I had hit 300 uh, not too long ago. And now I'm trying to get uh, back down.
0: I saw Bubba one day and, and I, was, I was walking somewhere around Fox and I see you Tommy. <laughs> coming out of Dunkin' Donuts with a cup of
2: coffee. Of
1: so, so, and I random in the street, pre-pandemic, I'm walking to Doug, Go- heading into Sirius, and I walk out. I got a bunch of donuts, not just for myself. And who to walk into? I hear, oh hell! And it's John in the middle of the street of Manhattan, <laughs> and I'm caught red-handed with a bunch of donuts and a coffee. And I see Bubba, and I said, I saw Tommy coming
0: out of Dunkin' Donuts. And I could never finish the sentence, but was going, he was what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he was bringing donuts to everybody, but he goes, he was, huh? I just, never mind, never mind.
1: Walked into that one.
0: This year, it's time to get off the couch and get back in the bedroom. Blue Chew can help. Guys, we know that confidence can take you far in life. And when you feel confident, you're at your best, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it comes time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code JBLGB at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code JBLGB to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank bluechew for sponsoring the
2: podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to, to Tommy, after you were inspired by Jimmy Superfly Snookas podcast, the- uh, jump off the uh, uh, off the top of the cage, and fifty other main eventers that were main evented WrestleMania. <laughs> how did how what, how what did you how did you go about finally making that step into uh, the world of professional wrestling?
1: Well, the guy who hooked me was uh, my first ever time seeing wrestling was it was snowed out from the Ranger game was snowed out. They were playing the Canadians, and they, instead they showed wrestling from Ma- Madison Square Garden and they showed Bob Backlund versus Bulldog Brower. And I was the biggest Bob Backlund fan. I never had seen wrestling before. I loved it. Long story short, uh, I go to the county center for my 10th birthday. Bob Backlund snubs me for an autograph. I'm done with wrestling. And my father was a a teacher. We go down to uh, Hollywood, Florida. And I got, we watched Florida Championship Wrestling from the old uh, Hollywood Sportatorium. And Mr. Briscoe, you were on that card. Uh, years later, I went and researched it. They did a tournament and it was you guys and the funks and Dust. the main event was Dusty and Bugsy McGraw versus Ivan Koloff and uh, Dick Murdoch. Dick had just turned on America, joined Russia. He'd be a massive heel today. Oh, <laughs> and um, when I tell you, I-, I can remember it like it was yesterday, the way the light hit Dusty's uh, blonde hair and the gnats that were flying around, and and Dream looked like he floated on earth, and he was a god to me, and I I watched that, I watched the match, I was frozen, and I've never been frozen before in my life, and then as soon as that match ended, I turned, I bought my first ever eight by ten, which was Dusty holding the bloody bull rope, and then I bought a Barry Windham t-shirt, which was The Kid Was Hot Tonight and driving home i said this is what i have to do in my life and my father and mother were very very supportive bought me wrestling magazines i was hooked 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 ever since and you know the business was much different i trying to research you know there's no internet there's no anything and the business is still very very secretive and then i went uh, again a newspaper article was hey bodybuilders tough guys Um, strong men, all this stuff, you want to be a pro wrestler, audition for a Captain Lou Albano movie, a life movie. So my father takes me down to the city, and Ned Beatty was there, who was supposed to play Captain Lou Albano, which is weird casting. Captain Lou is there, and I'm 17 years old, going to be 18, And I do my, I'm wearing a yellow tank top. I'm probably 185 pounds. I had sweatpants on that looked like the fabulous one. They had lightning bolts. I got dressed to the hilt, cut the best worst Hulk Hogan promo, ripped my tank top uh, because you had to cut a promo to show if you had, you know, uh, speaking ability, which I just went. And then Captain Lou's like, all right, brother, you did good. And I turned right to Captain Lou Albano. And then my, this is my shot. I turn right to Lou Albano. I say, excuse me, uh, Lou Albano. I know you're the manager of champions. Um, can you manage me? I'd really want to be a wrestler, which now I think about that. Now he was like, Oh, what is this Mark talking about? But my insider logo in my head was how I'm in. Cause I called him the manager of champions, which years later, that was grand wizards thing, not even captain Lou. And then he goes, go see that guy. And that guy was Johnny rods. And then I'm like, oh, my God, that's Johnny Rods. I've seen Johnny wrestle forever. And then as I'm walking to go see Johnny, I see Rocky Johnson sleeping on the corner of the apron. And I'm like, oh, my God, total like marked him. So, no, I don't want to be trained by Johnny Rods. I want to be trained by Rocky Johnson. Johnny did jobs. I want to get put over. I go to Rocky Johnson, who's borderline sleeping. And I go, excuse me, Mr. Johnson, um, uh, I, I you know, really want to be a wrestler. Uh, do you have any advice to me? And he turns and he looks, he goes, you'll never make it, kid, and turns back <laughs> around. And I'm like, why would you say that to me? Like, I was crushed. And then I went to Johnny. I was like, uh, excuse me, Johnny, because like, now you're my third option in life here. And I said, uh, "You know, hey, I'm very interested in, in wrestling. And he was with uh, Damien Demento, Bill DeMott. And then he's like, he hands me his card and he goes, here, call me. And then I went uh, and on my 18th birthday, I started, you know, going to wrestling school and the rest was history. And I would go every Monday and Tuesday to Gleason's gym in Gleason in Brooklyn, New York. And Johnny, uh, Johnny trained me. And, and a lot of times, you know, you, you look at the, your fundamentals and your foundation, but there's so many times in life where I'll just be like, man, Johnny was right. And Johnny was a machine. He was probably, 45 to 48, and he would be in the ring with uh, Damien Demento for about an hour, Bill DeMott for about 30, Taz for about 30, and then me for about 15, and never got out of that ring. And he never trained you to hurt you, but he would train you to teach you. Like if you got up the wrong way, he would push you down. Or if you had your hand out, he would step on your fingers. And his main thing was, if you get hurt, you're not going to be able to eat. You're not going to be able to feed your family. And I just think of like a lot of his lessons, how he was, or like teaching you strength. Cause sometimes for a body slam, he would dead, you know, dead ass you. And he's like, this is where you need strength. This is where, cause what if you can do, if you're in the ring with a guy who's blown up, blah, 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 blah. So I, I think about, you know, as you get older, you're reflective, but he was an amazing trainer, uh, for me and, then here came Devon and there, he trained a lot of guys who were fortunate enough to make it in this industry.
2: Well, you know, that, that's what's really strange. You know, there's a lot of talk about different trainers in, in our business and, and Johnny rarely gets brought up. But if you go over a, a hall of fame list of who's who in our business, Hell, every one of them has crossed paths with Johnny and in, in some way, especially all the Northeast guys up there. He's yeah. trained so many champions, so many I, he don't I don't think Johnny really gets the credit he deserves as being being one of those elite, elite trainers.
1: He was he was a machine, man. He what, really what did.
2: kind of facility did Johnny
1: have? It was Gleason's gym uh was a boxing gym. That was the old boxing gym, right? And it you know, you walked in there and it was not the glitz and glamour it was i mean i was trained also in a boxing ring which is dead centered oh. ropes. Hard, yeah. oh. and uh well i think it also you know as you know calcifies your body but I mean, i'm telling you for like the first the first week he's like watch so i watch uh the next week he's like be a referee you, you watch wrestling be a referee and he's purposely having the boys like bump in me i'm trying to and then. By the third week. Cause I'm like, I'm doing nothing except sitting here for hours upon hours. And he's like, take a bump. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you know, fall down. And when I did it, my head pounding, he goes, do another one. And he's like, all right, come back tomorrow. And I'm like, man, I gave this guy like, what is he doing? And then when I came back the next day, he realized I wanted it. And now like after three weeks of literally just doing, and then he was just like, okay, so you've been through here for three weeks. What'd you learn? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, now you're a dumbass because you think you know everything about wrestling. You know nothing. And then was beyond hands-on, always in the ring, always correcting you and like also shooting on you, but not to injure you. But, you know, hey, you leave your leg out there, I'm going to take it. Hey, you do this, you get up the wrong way, I'm going to bump on you. And, and those are all things that, again, man, I, I think about it, he he was great. or And having to deal with all these different personalities you know a very very intense Bill DeMott a very very uh angry uh Taz I mean the the list goes on and on having to deal with all these people but train trained you great and you'll still say even though Devon's a hall of famer that I was his prized student so back <laughs> the the
0: the gym itself Lisa's gym we had Bill DeMott on and uh, unfortunately that show has never seen the light of day because I lost it somewhere on a computer so Hopefully, we're going to have Bill Don again, if he forgives me. But <laughs> he was telling us about Gleason's gym when you were there, and he mentioned uh, Mitch Blood Green and Tyson. That happened right near there, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, listen, I was, uh, Johnny would always call me. And for those who
0: don't know, I'm sorry. For those who don't know, Tyson runs into Mitch Blood Green and ends up uh, popping him. And it was, a, it was a big deal in boxing in the early 90s.
1: They got into a real fight, a street brawl. And then there was also an arena right under the Brooklyn Bridge. And if you ever watch the TV show Friends, that's where they're standing overlooking the the, the scene of New York. And there was an arena un- underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. And Tyson had rented out the arena. And right down the block was the gym. And it was a, a badass boxing gym. So they asked us to kind of bodyguard Mitt... Uh, Mike Tyson, because they're hearing that Mitch Blood Green is going to show up. And it's me, Damien Demento, who at the time looked like one of the road warriors, Bill DeMott, and Mitch Green shows up. And they're all like, hey, hey, hey. And he opens his thing and he's got a firearm. (laughs) And I literally see, and Johnny would always call me like rich boy. I grew up you know, in an upper middle class family. And here I am in a gym where... Uh, People are trying to fight for their lives, trying to improve their lives to get out of, you know, uh, the ghettos and and trying to fight their men. And I'm an 18 year old kid. And here's Mitch Blood Green. He pulls out a piece and Damien Demento is like, I'm out. And then Bill walks away and I'm standing there alone and Green is just cutting promos. And I'm like, "Uh, sir, like, like I'm I'm awestruck because he wants to go in there and kill him over what i don't know it ben, wasn't did
0: you, did you stop him before he came in is that what happened where's the confrontation with you guys it's in the street so it's the bodyguards guarding the baddest man on the planet and you're out there with mitch blood green he's got a gun in his pants
1: yeah and uh the titans this- inside yep okay and we're out in the street and then bill and damien kind of just walk away i'm left there and then and he, then other police light came, New York City's finest came in and it was, it was quickly uh, gone. But for those couple of maybe 35 to 50 seconds, it's pure, pure mayhem that he did. He showed up. And like most of the times when you hear, oh, that guy's going to show up to kill him. They normally don't show up, but oh yeah, no, he showed up. He was, uh, he was ready to go for Mike again.
0: And when did the fight happen? I mean, was this after the fight had happened? or was
1: this, this was after the fight had happened. This was the reason he was coming back uh, for the, the second one.
0: Oh, I never heard that part of the story. So he yeah. came back. for He was going to kill Tyson.
1: That's what he was claiming.
0: And he had a gun. So, I mean, it was not like it was a total bluff. <laughs> you know, I,
1: he, I remember when da- David Demento, he literally put his hands up and went, okay, and just walked away. And I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs>
2: The smartest guy out of the bunch (laughs)
0: yeah were you around when the fight happened or or no you you probably saw the aftermath right
1: no i wasn't there for that i i i probably ran in fear john to be honest (laughs) i'm not going to be this big macho guy that that was uh like i said i was an 18 year old kid never had experienced anything you know like that uh but yeah it was a scary time bill had come in and uh mondo had come in before me mondo clean was damien Demento, but they had come in before me same with taz
0: yeah because apparently it was uh a one no, it punch, was but it was it was a hell of a punch I and mean, that was that was when tyson was knocking the world out with one punch
1: yeah they and had tyson uh, with
0: no with no gloves
1: yep they had a street fight i think they had two actually and then this oh, was really? the, supposed to be the rubber match
2: <laughs> with the gun yeah. gun on a pole yeah <laughs>
0: This is John Layfield, one half of Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. Mr. Briscoe told me about how cool and comfortable Stance socks were, and I had a hard time believing it until I tried them on. I haven't taken them off since. You just thought Stance only made socks, but now they're making everything from joggers, sweats, hoodies, and hats. It's all comfortable and super colorful, just like Mr. Briscoe and I with versatile style you can wear almost anywhere. Not just socks anymore. Stance is bringing color, comfort, and creativity from toe to head with the launch of our all new active apparel line. That's right, what started out as a radical reinvention of your sock drawer is now expanding to your entire wardrobe. Check out Stance's super soft line of sweatpants, joggers, shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. Now available in a full range of fits, prints, fabrics, and fun. Embrace a life of superior comfort and creative expression with everyday active apparel that truly is stitched different. Stance's philosophy is that you should never have to sacrifice your own individual style for the sake of comfort. And now you don't have to. Whether you're relaxing around the house, working out of the gym, or running all over town, Stance now delivers its signature softness and creativity in a full line of active apparel styles from toe to head. Stance has got you covered. Head on over to Stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Use promo code JBLGB at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Stitched different. Did Johnny Rods have a classes that he said he worked with the guys? Did he have classes that he was running or was he working individual people? He still
1: has his school. I don't know like the schedule for me. It was Monday and Tuesday from probably 12 in the afternoon till closing, which sometimes was like seven o'clock. I still, whenever I walk into those uh, type of gyms, I hate the smell of the sweat and the spit, but because it brings me back to like some, you know, you know, badass training. And I would go there. I was in college. I, I redid my entire schedule so I could make training and I would be there from, pretty much the moment it entered until the, the end of the day. Cause this is again, like I said, I've been hooked, hooked, hooked ever since I first, you know, saw it. And I still, dude, I watch, I sadly watch way too much wrestling. Um, I'll, I watch usually about a match a day or if not more, I'm, I still go down that rabbit hole every single night. And whenever, as you guys know, this, this business is a, uh, very one-sided business at times. And if you ever get pissed or I never wanted to be the bitter veteran because everything I have in my life is because of wrestling and I love it. But if you ever get in those moments, I always go back and I watch stuff on on Peacock that made me fall in love with it. And I go down, I, I watch everything in a row still. I'm currently in mid Atlantic. So I get to see Mr. Briscoe be, be the man. And, uh, I just do. I watch, I watch it because this is like, Hey, this is why I'm still doing this. This is why I love it.
3: Jerry and I do a
0: thing called we call best of the best where we watch matches each week and we do a watch along. We've had so much fun doing it. I mean, we went over the old O'Connor Rogers match, the, the Don Eagle wow. gorgeous George screw job this week was Tiger Jeet Singh and Terry Funk in the, in the death match tournament, in the FW FMW in Japan. But it's so fun to go back and watch those matches And, you know, look at it and, you know, pick out, pick apart psychologies, you know, pick apart moves and how things are, you know, despite the fact that it's 60, 70 years later in some of these matches, it's still very much the same.
1: And this dude, some of the stuff and Mr. Briscoe, I'll tell you, like, I always like to ask uh, every older wrestler, like, Hey, who was the best in their generation and dusty would always, you know, Dusty. First of all, he said himself, uh, which is <laughs> the only wrestler to ever say that. By the way, <laughs>
2: that's great. So. Uh, don't get it on me.
1: <laughs> But like Terry, I'll I'll talk to Terry, and Terry be like, man, Jack and Jerry were great. Or you talk to Ricky Steamboat, he like, man, uh, you know, Jack and Jerry were great. And, and I think for your brother got the the higher accolades because he was the NWA champion. But man. I didn't grow up during your era, but I I watch it now and and you were amazing, especially with your brother, your tag team psychology, cutting off the ring and just the beautiful things that you guys had done in the ring. You know, even the turn, like I talked to Ricky Steamboat about like you guys were such big baby faces and then the turn with falling on the figure four and then deliberately doing it, your stuff with Piper. Uh, I saw Piper come out, handed you and your brother your ass, and you're both selling for him. And then you come out, you're all fired up. It was just uh, such great stuff. And, and, you know, I I never, like I said, I didn't get a chance to appreciate, you know, your stuff, because I didn't get to see it. But watching it now, man, I love watching your stuff, because
2: well, it was, thank it you, was, Tommy, but it was the, brilliant. The, the important thing that was the names that you mentioned and, uh, and, and giving me those accolades, I it could have never been done without the Roddy Pipers or Ricky and Jays and, and, and Dory's and Terry's. I mean, you know, and, and I, I you know, I think back, it's, it's, it's hard to say who was the greatest, you know, and, in any area, you know, and I look at mine and I think I was so blessed to, to, to share the ring with so many of those guys yeah. But you know, some of the best guys weren't weren't the biggest stars. Some of the best workers they were they were the guys that right underneath that, you know, and uh, you know, and so they, I was just blessed to have so many guys that wanted to share their knowledge with you. And I think that's that's the important thing. And uh, you know, I would not I wasn't trained in a gym like 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 you and a lot of other guys. Where I was, I basically on the job training. I got out of school and I was setting up the ring and as I'd set up the ring and a lot of old timers come early and hey kid show me a show me a double leg or show me a single leg like that and I'll show you a little bit of work. And so that's basically how I learned to work. But I just had I was blessed to have so many crows that would offer their advice and teaching. But you know, Ricky and Jay, I mean, wow, what a great tag team they were. And you know the great thing about that deal the- that, that entire heel turn was, was predicated on one thing that really loses a lot of focus during the matches. Jack and I had never been world tag team champions. So we kind of made that belt, you know, the, the gold and why we we're turning heel, you know, these young guys have it. The young, the fans just happen to like, you know, and you know, it's something we've ever had and we were at the end of our career and we, we want that and we're going to get it. So that, that, that really helped making a title means something, you know. And, and that world title and tag title in the Carolinas as, as you guys know, that that was a, that was the, the the grail, the holy grail at the time.
1: Yeah. Who to think making the title the main reason for men fighting?
2: <laughs>
0: you know, also for a heel change. You know, you know, a lot of times you turn a person heels and they just became a bad person. You know, nobody just becomes a bad person. You may be a bad person, but there's a reason that you switch over in your head and start showing that, manifesting itself in a certain ways. And for Jerry and Jack to make that turn based upon the title, it made perfect sense. And that's the one thing I hate about any type of wrestling storylines over the last 50 years. You know, when you see one, when someone just turns heel for no reason or turns babyface for no reason, you know, there's got to be a reason behind stuff no matter how flimsy it is, there's got to at least be a reason for it. Uh, Otherwise people have a hard time following.
1: Yeah. uh, Trust me, uh, dealing in impact all the time. Uh, We'll talk about it. And I just kind of go fundamentals. Hey, this person you have to lose something or the ability to realize you're never going to achieve this. So then you have to cheat to do something. And then that's what the turn is all about. And and I I've uh, especially, especially my biggest thing is a heat spot where, you know, Hey, you're supposed to get sympathy on the babies. A lot of people, they're just out wrestling the good guys. And I'll just be like, that's not a heat spot. And I literally say, I go, Hey man, let me, I could break this down to you. uh, If you're sitting there watching television with your wife and you get a text at 11 o'clock and you laugh and your wife's like, Oh, who is that? And you're like, Oh, it's, it's John. And then at midnight, uh, you get a text again, your wife still says, "Uh, who is that? And, oh, it's John. She's like, well, is that a girl in that picture? Oh, yeah, well, John's at a bar. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's just showed me a picture of a girl. And then at 2 o'clock in the morning, if, you know, your phone goes off again and your wife says, uh, like, who's that? And it's, oh, well, it's John. Why is he texting you? By that time, either your, your wife is going to say, let me see the phone, or you have to show her, like, here it is. Like, I, I just got caught cheating because that's what I'm doing. I'm cheating. And if not, if that first time when your wife says, who was that? And you're like, oh, this is this girl who's showing me her boobs and I want to uh, have sex with her. I go, that's what you guys are basically going out there and doing. You're not showing that you're cheating. You're not being bad people.
0: Yeah, can't, they can't overthink it. One time I was working with Barry Horowitz and I said, I'll hit the ropes, hit you in the tackle, hit your ropes, hit you in the other tackle. And he said, think about that. Why would I stand there the second time? I said, you think about it. Why in a fight would you shoot me off in the ropes and stand there anyway? I said, <laughs> Stone Cold's on last. Nobody cares. Just take two tackles.
1: <laughs> Psychology is key. And that's how you get people emotionally invested into these turns and all that stuff. And, like, hey, the
0: key is who's going to become the Russian in the next few weeks?
1: No, not anymore.
2: <laughs> so, so Tommy, uh, you. You're johnny Rawls, how long did your school last and where where was the first place that you went out after you got out with johnny
1: uh I had my first match october twenty eighth nineteen eighty nine I wow. had my second match uh december third nineteen eighty nine I was undefeated in nineteen eighty nine guys just so you that <laughs> resonates then in nineteen 1990- the animal <laughs> <laughs> In 1990, I had four whopping matches, but I was walking around town like I was Joe Pro Wrestler. And again, my father, a very, very uh, brilliant man. Uh, He had five masters and he was just like, hey, let me ask you something. Um, You're a pro wrestler, right? And I was like, yep. He goes, you paid him how much money? And I was like, $3,000. And he goes, how much money have you made? And I said, "Uh, nothing. And he goes, and how is this if you're going to pay for car insurance, do all these things? How are you a pro wrestler, and I was. And you just, dropped
2: out of school too, right?
1: Nope. The deal I made with my parents was I had to finish college. I was on the five-year plan, but I finished it. And then uh, Taz had gotten to an argument with Johnny, and because Johnny didn't want us to go wrestle other places. And then in '91, I hooked up with uh, Savoldi's in ICW, and I've literally been on television since 1991 straight.
2: So Tom, Tommy, when 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 uh, when you went to Savoldi's, was was that with your real name? And I, I've read the story. I don't know where it come from, but in honor of the American Dream, yes, that's how you come up with Tommy Dreamer. You, You're Northeastern. You think Bruno or or Pedro or Ivan or one of those great great stars there? But that that Florida championship hooked you, right?
1: Big time. Uh real quick, right before my first ever match, Johnny asked me my name, and I wanted to be a mix between Sting and the great Muda. And I was going to paint my face, and I actually used to do a roundabout handspring elbow like uh, Muda. I had my hair like Muda, except for, I mean, like uh, Sting, except I had a sweet mullet. And I tell Johnny, I wanted my name to be Tommy Acid, and I was going to spit acid in guys' uh, (laughs) eyes. Again, my first match, and I'm telling my trainer what I'm going to do, and he's soaking it all in. And he goes, you're too good looking to be a baby face. Change the name or I'm going to announce you as Tommy Dickhead. And I was just like, oh God, I don't want to be Tommy Dickhead. So then I was just like, it's always been my dream to be a professional wrestler. Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. Tommy Dreamer it was. And then I've been off uh, as Tommy Dreamer, like I said, since 91 on television. So it was all, all because of dream.
0: It's amazing your idea as a young wrestler. All of us went through that, about what we're going to be. We're going to be some Marvel superhero, and we're going to do all this, have this music. Then you get in there, and you uh, no, that, that doesn't work.
1: I'm uh, also just telling your tra- – that, that literally like being like, you know, you're going uh, – you get drafted by the NFL, and you're telling your coach what position you're going to play, what you're going to do. <laughs> and, and I'm one match – I'm not even one match in yet. And he just seriously looked at me, and he's like, you're going to be Tommy dickhead. If you don't find that name. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to be Tommy dickhead. I had my first match was in Brooklyn at that arena. I had sold 50 tickets. And then the next time I had 101 tickets sold. So, uh, if that continued, I probably would have been Johnny's champion because he was making a boatload off of my. Now princess. that's
2: how you guys got paid, right? I, I thought, who was it? Uh, Demont told us that story. On, yeah. uh, you got paid on how many tickets you sold. And you yeah, Bill them
0: Demont them told stories. us the story on a wonderful show that, that,
2: that never, never aired. Yeah. We <laughs> don't know well, where this it is. is a new story. <laughs> yeah.
1: He would. He was supposed <laughs> to give you a dollar a ticket, but uh, I never collected on that bounty. So, uh, it and I that knew, was
0: where your grandmother was going to put a hit on Bill Demont, right?
1: That was my aunt. And uh, Bill DeMott jumped me on my second uh, thing. We're in Brooklyn, New York. My family did have uh, some connections uh, with some sav- unsavory people. And Bill, my aunt, uh, God rest her soul, my-, my grandfather hits the ring. And my aunt, as Bill's well guessed, she goes, you don't know who you're messing with. She, used- she actually said fucking with. And she's like, I'm going to put a hit on you. We're from Brooklyn and Bill was terrified, and Bill put on a mask and ran out the back door to get there because my family wanted to beat up Bill.
2: Okay, go back here now. Your family I, I had some unsavory uh, relationships there. I wanted yeah. to, to describe that exactly because you're from Brooklyn, and then, and then you put two and two together. It don't take a, a Texan to figure out that, what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, my grandfather, he just, uh, he worked for some unsavory people back in the day. It was a a long time ago with, uh, there was a a riot um, in Brooklyn between, it it was the Teamsters versus the police. And the Teamsters were a very, very solid foundation. And uh, there was a, a real riot. My uncle had uh, knocked out a horse. It was in the front page of the New York Post. <laughs> knocked
2: out a horse? <laughs> he knocked out. Why did he knock out a horse?
1: Well, they the there was a they were blocking, they were blocking uh, the shipments to come in, because they weren't. Uh, it was all in the Brooklyn docks back in the day. So then here come the cops. So then they laid out boards with nails on them. So when the horses stepped on it. And then there was a real like pier six brawl, hence where the term came from. And there was, uh, he, he was arrested for punching a horse. And my grandfather, you know, my grandfather worked uh, with him. And, and he his dropped the horse? He hit it. I know that. I don't know if he knocked it out, but he hit, he, he did blast a horse and was arrested for that. And my grand and there was like, it was what a was family heirloom passed around.
0: Names? <laughs> <laughs> what. Why did you? <laughs> what,
2: was, what, was, what was that movie where that football player knocked out the Mongo? Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, yeah. Where Mongo knocks out the horse. So this is a scene out of Blazing Saddles on a real right. Uh,
1: I think maybe they took it from there because it was a it was a legendary story that you can kind of look up because it was in the front page of the paper and I had seen it when I was a kid like this family heirloom that was passed down like <laughs> hey look at your grandfather and his brother. <laughs>
0: But you, you know what I'm saying? I mean that's like you would think you'd hit the guy that was on the horse, not the horse. He I mean, probably
1: horse. did both. Listen, I we I think every one of us has been in a real riot, and <laughs> you hit everything. I know I've yeah, been yeah. in a lot of riots, and you hit everything.
0: Fair, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And the, go back one more to one more thing though. Another hole. Another. I like how you're
1: lead. popping. You're popping so much. Yeah.
0: For- oh, my God. <laughs> Bill DeMott weighed 350 pounds, he told yep. us at the time, on his show that will never air, because I lost it. But anyway, and then he puts on a mask, and he thinks he's hiding in the yeah. same arena.
1: And Pro Wrestling 101. That's one 101,
2: of the things I've ever heard.
1: But he escaped. <laughs> and it
2: loved to tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> so here's
0: Bill Mott 350 pounds. Here's Bill Mott 350 pounds with a mask on, and you don't realize it's. This,
1: it must have been a hell of a mask. And I think he also probably put on those old uh, satin jackets. And back then he wrestled as big, sweet William. Big and sweet. it was like a purple jacket. And I'm sure it even had his name on it. And he just <laughs> ran out the back door.
2: It's <laughs> awesome. all
1: marks. Come on now.
2: And this is your grandmother threatening him with. That was um, my aunt. Your aunt. Okay. Yeah. Wow. My
1: grandfather did hit the ring too. And he dropped a security guard. It was crazy. <laughs> it seriously was. I have it on VCR. Do you? Uh, oh man! And it was uh, amazing. Awesome. All caused by my own family. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: When we, when we did the angle in El Paso, Eddie told me afterwards he had smartened up his family and his friends. He was worried that uh, one of them would do the
1: same thing. I, I, uh, I didn't. And, and dude, let me. My mom is 81 years old, and she, whenever she watches me wrestle, uh, I call her all the time, and she'd be like, "Did you win?" And I think my mom thinks I'm like on this Goldberg street. Cause I I've stopped telling her that I lose. Cause she'd be like, why did you lose? And I'm like, well, mom, you know, uh, it's, it's scripted. And she'll be like, no, I know. And she still hates when, uh, wrestlers put their foot on my throat and she turns away whenever she sees it. And she's like, I just can't. And she's like, you're my son. And I'm like, but ma, he's not really trying to like take my win. And she goes, I just can't watch it. So it's uh, it's pretty funny. And I've never told her and I don't I don't feel wrestling is fake because especially when I wake up in the morning and my mom has seen me, it's funny too, like my friends started calling her Jackie Stallone. ECW was this uh, redheaded stepchild where she didn't acknowledge it. I always had scars all over my head. She once caught me in the backyard uh, blowing fireballs because Terry Funk was teaching me how to do it. And I'm in my backyard with a branding iron in New York and lamp oil spitting fire. and she's like, What are you doing? I hate this wrestling. You know, her good-looking Guido son is, is, you know, covered in scars, bleeding every weekend. But then once I went to the WWE and people started knowing me more and I had an action figure, my mom was pro-wrestling mom one oh one. She became a Hollywood mom.
0: Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Lucy Cinnamon Nicotine Gum, my favorite. If you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code JBLGB at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co, and be sure to use that promo code JBLGB. My first action figure, I saw it at Walmart, and you know how you are when you see your first one. I loaded up all of them, put them in the buggy and I go to the checkout. And I thought, wait a minute. I can't buy my own action figure. So I went back <laughs> and I hit them and I told my mom, go buy them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you hit them like somebody's going to rush the store. Yeah. Like,
0: them. like, like the Justin Hawk Bradshaw action figure was in such demand. To <laughs> <You're right. laughs> if I, if I hadn't hit them, They'd still be there on the shelf just waiting to be sold.
1: (laughs) If you want to talk about, like, I remember the joy of my first time. I have every pro you talked, you had Bill Apter on. I have every wrestler inside wrestling, pro wrestling illustrated from 1979 till about 1995. But whenever I would be in there, I I would open up the magazines back when magazines were popular. And if my picture was there, I'd open up every magazine to my picture. And just leave it there when I walk out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, man, it's still real to me. Damn it.
2: Okay, so you left Johnny now. Okay, take us on that journey. You left Johnny. The acw was just still a, a, a future wish for Paul yeah. e and those guys there. But Taz, Taz, did you guys kind of stick around together and, and work or work around the Northeast together during yes, that? Yes, Taz
1: and I were. We travel everywhere together. I drove. He worked me into saying he had like this night blindness thing with his eyes. So I just drove everywhere. He would drive from Queens to my house and then we'd go uh, work every weekend for the Savoldis. And then uh, we had hooked up. He had was going to wrestle Sabu at the ECW arena. And I was just gonna drive him. And uh, I show up with my uh, stuff. I wrestled under a mask. Uh, that night that he wrestles Sabu and then the next day uh, they did me versus Taz for ECW television and we used to have like really really ahead of their times slash doing a lot of high spots that mean made nothing but like I would take a northern light suplex off the top rope from Taz Ooh. and these are things that only the Steiners are doing you know And here's these two guys on the Northeast where we'd always put this really, really good match that we thought was great together. And it was myself, Chris Candido sometimes got thrown into the mix, but we were like the known next level of guys to make it slash hard workers. We always were working out, trying our best to be in shape. And then I I wrestled Taz, Uh, have a good match. And that's it. You know, uh, Paul Heyman calls me up maybe three days later. He asked me to come to the studio. I drive to the studio. We watch my match. And at the end of the match, there was four people standing and Paulie goes, you see that these people believe in you. I could do something with you. And I was just like, okay. Like I just thought ECW was just this random indie. And so they did the entire TV show where all the heels went up. Shane Douglas went up, Mr. Hughes went up, Public Enemy. And then Joey Styles is wrapping up the show. And then he's like, wait, wait, go back to the live ring. And he goes, this crowd that threw snowballs at Santa Claus, this, this hardcore town is giving this pretty boy, Tommy Dreamer, a standing ovation. Maybe there's hope for ECW after all. And that's how they went off the air. And it was literally four people appreciating my hard-earned work, And that's how we went off the air. And then like, it was almost like foretell that I would be known as the heart and soul of ECW, but Paul had that unique vision for me and did like a lot of things to try to help me get over. Like I was the first guy to ever kick out of Jimmy Snuka's Superfly Splash, um, which I was starting to get over. But then when I got caned for real... Uh, that was the, where it took me next level. And then the feud between me and Raven, we were just off and going and been on that ride ever since.
2: How did you first meet Paul?
1: Uh, uh, oof. Uh, we live real close to each other. Yonkers and Scarsdale are the next town. My old gym was literally on the bottom of the hill of his house. We had a mutual friend. We met at Nathan's hot dog place. That oh, was right by, it, right? yeah figure me and Paul go out to eat and I handed him my old school eight by 10 and uh VCR tape he said he had heard of me we went we ate we we leave yeah at the hot dog stand not the one in Coney Island but there was one in Yonkers it was a famous famous place uh in Yonkers um and then funny that night too where I I call him just to say hey I'm gonna be there with my boot and Paul Paul answers the phone. And, uh, I was like, Hey Paul, it's a uh, Tommy dreamer. And I had met him already. We had like a lunch and he was just like, this isn't Paul. This is his friend, Doug. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, Paul, this is you. And he goes, no, this is his friend, Doug. And I was like, okay. Can is Paul there? And I think like, he's joking with me and he's like, Paul's busy. How can I help you? And I was just like, uh, well, Paul, and he goes, this isn't Paul, this is Doug. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Doug, um, can you tell Paul that I'm driving Taz and I'll be at the ECW arena, even though it wasn't, yeah, it was known as ECW arena. And if he needs me, I'll be there. And he's like, okay, I'll tell him. I go, thanks, Paul. And he goes, this isn't Paul, this is Doug. And it should have for, been fortuitous for our relationship. Uh, years, um, so uh that's right that's insane
2: the back- that is <laughs> only <laughs> dog <laughs> Doug, that's, that's
1: great yep so uh but then the rest was history and, and to his credit man paul and as you guys know there was always a different divide between the boys and the office but paul allowed me to be in the studio again we just lived next to each other uh he brought me into the studio taught me at 24 years old which was unheard of how to edit a TV show. And uh, he was also, I mean, I'm sure Mr. Briscoe knew Paul when he was younger, but like he's always around the business and he was always this young guy who, you know, wanted to do other things outside, you know, he couldn't wrestle and he just took me in, in the office and then we would, you know, edit the TV show. Then he taught me, you know, we'd be booking stuff in the car. So, I mean, I got a lot of valuable lessons as well as helped me so much with promos and what I, what I wish the business had now is I would walk through that curtain and I would have Paul, Mick Foley, and Terry Funk all helping me try to be better. And now at times, and I see it all the time, there's people like the blind leading the blind or their friends telling them how good they did. And I don't care about how good I did. What did I do wrong so I can improve on that? And there's not. There's not enough leaders. Uh, When I worked at WWE at times I would get frustrated because people would just tell me I did good because I hit my time as opposed, and Vince wasn't mad as opposed to, well, if I did so good, how come I'm not the champion? How come, uh, you know, it's just, you want, you want that feedback. And I tell everybody, you, Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time, the GOAT, most Super Bowls. he has a head coach, a quarterback's coach, an offensive coach, offensive line, all the players Everybody trying to make him be the best and he's the best at already what he does. And I don't, we don't have that, especially on the Indies.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm not picking on anybody for saying this because I'm not around any wrestling group enough to know what's going on. So I don't know, but I know from my own personal perspective, you know, sometimes guys will look at you, you know, I'm with Ron a lot on somebody's signings. It's kind of like, Oh, that was the old style. They don't really know, you know, what's going on today. And so they just kind of seek advice from themselves or from social media which is just an echo chamber of, of your own thoughts because you block anybody you don't like, or I do. <laughs> so it's a, uh, you know, it's something that's that, that, that it can be lost. And there may be this going on in different places. I, I don't know that because I'm not day to day in any type of wrestling business, but it's invaluable oh. to seek the advice of guys like uh, Mr. Briscoe or, or Terry Funk or anybody you have access to that, that drew money. and Yeah.
1: I'm in a locker room. If I'm a tag team, I'm going to get the most information I can for, from Mr. Briscoe or from you, John, you know, you were part of a successful tag team or then, you know, everyone's looking about, I mean, I mean, think about your career. And I don't think you get enough credit for changing your stuff up and taking a risk, because if you want to know how low you were on a totem pole, I beat you. And. Uh, <laughs> Did you beat me for the hardcore title? Many times. I will. Oh, ass. no. <laughs> But this was when you—I knew, knew
0: you'd beat me at least at least once. But uh, I beat I, you on
1: I, television as well.
0: I blocked out all the other ones. Just
1: when Tommy Dreamer, well, like, I blocked out you. all
0: my losses. By the way, not just you.
1: Well, when Tommy Dreamer's beating you in WWE, you know you fall way down the food chain. So um, the but you went and changed your entire gimmick, and you know there's a lot of oh reinventing himself. I mean, you were this badass barroom brawler that I mean your shelf life I don't want to say expired but it you had a completely different gimmick and took your career next level because of it
0: yeah and most guys then thank you very kind of you said most guys that, that last a long time change their characters or change their gimmicks or at least they have different iterations of it you know you look at even the undertaker one of the most iconic images of all time he's gone through some some pretty drastic changes uh, from the dead man to the biker back to the dead man to the, the real dark dead man. I mean, it's, you know, the guys who last have to figure out a way to, to change uh, with the times. Yeah, And I think sometimes people, like when you get started and you have an idea of what you want to be, that's why, okay, look, that may work, but it may not. And even if it works, it may work for a certain amount of time. And then you may have to go, go to something else. That's why people, I think, should always be thinking and looking around. I mean, look at Sergeant Slaughter sergeant slaughter was always on the political side of, of one one or the other being a heel or, or a baby and made a lot of money because of it
1: yes i loved watching sarge work too man i uh i paid many times to see sergeant slaughter get his ass kick or kick some ass <laughs> hey did that-
0: you guys when y'all were mrs steiners and those steiners i mean for those that don't know they were doing some groundbreaking stuff back in the day, man. Oh, my God. We used to get those tapes and just try to figure out how to do some of those suplexes. Did you guys do the same thing? Because you mentioned the Steiner suplexes. We were trying to poach anything they could do. We couldn't do most of them. Yeah, no, I,
1: I took everything. And, like, you know, when you say you had Bill DeMott on, like, I'm taking this 300 plus pound elbow drop or this moonsault uh, that he's trying to do. Uh, for Taz, I took every stupid Taz suplex imaginable and it would just be like, no, nope, that didn't work. But yes, uh, Scott for a big man. I mean, just the Frankensteiner alone. I mean oh, it, it,
0: or, they were a different level. I mean, they they were the matches they had, especially in Japan, uh, with I think Suzuki and maybe uh Hawk, some of those were those are some of the best matches I've ever seen. I mean, it's just unbelievable how good the Steiners were.
1: Or the Moonsault Body Slam, where he would pick you like this and pretty much do a moonsault, always land on his own head, and then just yeah. fire up like total no-sell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, something you mentioned about, you know, moments creating, like what Joey Styles said about you, it's kind of like the concession stand brawl in, in, in down in Memphis territory you know, that, that made that pop the territory. Your cane match with Sandman really was something that set you off uh, with ECW, right?
1: Yep. Uh, thank God. I wasn't – I was. They, I wasn't getting over, and like I said, first got to kick out of Jimmy Snuka's splash, uh, doing all these things. There was a real incident in Singapore where, where a kid, United States citizen, had gotten arrested for uh, selling drugs, and it was the uproar of a, a U.S. citizen was going to get caned uh, in Singapore. So it was national news. Paul comes up with the idea, loser of a match gets uh, caned, with uh, 10 lashes, and I got uh, the 10 lashes. It was Taz who said, listen, man, this kid is tough. We just got to show it, and I got caned for real, and it wasn't a gimmicked cane. It killed. I didn't want to get up, but the fans that the first hit, they cheer. You can watch us all on the network. The second hit, they cheer. The third hit, you could start seeing my back start bleeding, and by that 10th hit, everybody was cheering for me and it was just, you know, next level where you got over. And then it, it, you could watch it happen. And I I said it to Sandman and, and it was so emotional. His lower lip was quivering. And I said, I'm never gonna stop. I'm gonna keep getting up for these people. Cause it was real. I didn't want to get up, but it was, it was one of those where I had to, and, and I say this all the time and I know you'll understand this. Uh, Tommy Dreamer will always fight for the fans. I, I just, you don't want to let the fans down. Uh, I don't know what adrenaline, but me, I have, uh, it's funny, my wife, uh, Beulah McGillicuddy, I'll stub my toe, drop on the floor crying about, oh my God, my toe. And she's like, I've seen you on fire and you're not, you don't sell it as much. And I was like, that's Tommy Dreamer. Tom Lachlan No, that this is... <laughs> But you never, you don't let the fans down ever. Um, it's just, I, did I want to take it? No. And I have all the scars to prove it. But yeah, that that helped me next level. And then Raven and our whole storyline, that got me uh, to the next level. There's a famous thing where I pile drive Beulah. I, I hit my pose. I go into the crowd and everybody's chanting ECW, man. I'm covered in blood. When I walked through that curtain, Paul was there, hugged me, embraced me like a father embraced a son where you just won a Super Bowl or whatever. And he looked and like grabbed my face and was just like, you did it. You got over. And he's like, as long as you don't let them down, you'll stay that way forever. And you know, it it was an amazing, amazing thing that happened, but uh, it's been kind of true because I just wrestled three shows this past weekend. And they, as soon as I go out there, chan ecw (laughs) ecw that's
0: awesome you know is it the worst thing ever when they say about you that's a that's a really tough person because then you know (laughs) then you know you're about to take a bunch of shit (laughs) you're about to get hit by everything he's really tough oh good we can hit him with everything (laughs) yeah
1: or that damn singapore cane i tell everybody man this is the only real weapon in professional wrestling every a table's for putting stuff on a chair is for sitting this is a real weapon and no matter how much you gimmick it, it cuts you, it hurts.
0: You and, know this, uh, when Shamrock got hit with one in the head. I mean, it's just like, cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It It's a training tool for, for people in martial arts. It sucks. I'm the stupidest babyface ever because I'll bring it to the ring, but it always gets used on me. <laughs> funny
0: how that happens.
1: Yeah. And My the other guy, is. I'm sorry. Oh, I want to give to. Terry Funk his props, too, for helping me and Mick Foley. But the greatest thing that Terry Funk uh, had said to me, and I think about it, he's like, grow a goatee. You're a good looking kid, but it'll make you look tougher. And he goes, and when you're my age, it'll hide your double chin. So like, he was a Svengali genius because (laughs) it really has helped me.
0: (laughs) This is John Layfield. One half of stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. About a year and a half ago, Mr. Briscoe told me, he said, you know, you're going bald. I said, well, of course I am. I come from a family of bald male men. It's just a matter of time, but it wasn't. Fast forward, Mr. Briscoe says, your hair grew back, what happened? It's simple, the ingredients in Keeps is what happened. I may look good bald, but I'm not gonna find out anytime soon. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35. More than 50 million men in the US suffer from male pattern baldness. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. There are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, 24-7 care and support. Keeps has a network of expert medical advisors, prescribers, and care specialists to support you in making your hair goals a reality. And remember, you don't have to leave your home. Treatment start at just $10 per month and Keeps offers generic versions of the two FDA approved medications to prevent hair loss. If you're ready to take action, prevent hair loss, go to Keeps.com slash JBLGB to receive your first month of treatment free. That's Keeps.com slash JBLGB to get your first month free. Keeps.com slash JBLGB. You know, we, I didn't get to see ECW because we were on the road all the time. You know, I didn't get to see WCW really either, except when they put it up in the you know back of the dressing room during the war. Um, but when I was in the, I think, One Night Stand, I think, was the one where I was part of, I got it at that point. That was the greatest crowd I'd ever, I think, ever been in front of. It was so passionate. It was so energetic. What was it about ECW that made it that way?
1: Uh man, there was it was, like I said, you go back and watch, you can literally see the company grow. Uh, I joke about it. You know, Paul would never lie to his audience in an era where, you know, uh, the business needed change. And it was just in your face and people felt like it was their own, where people were talking, we talked tape traders, all that stuff. They'd be like, man, pro wrestling is what it is. You know, you could like, but it was like, you were a smart insider. If you followed this thing called ECW and a lot of fans thought it was real. And at times, I mean, you know, they see all this crazy stuff that we were doing and, you know, we pushed the envelope at first of violence. And then after that, it was, you know, great wrestlers and like, wherever your competition would go to the right, Paul would go to the left, and he was brilliant uh, about that. You know, when we're doing all this violent stuff, then he brings in Benoit Guerrero and Milenko. and we're having these amazing wrestling matches. And then when they go to WCW, we bring in Rey Mysterio and the Luchadors, and we introduce Lucha Libre, you know, really to a prominent level. It's just, and then when they go to WCW, he brings in Tajiri and Super Crazy, which is a a, a hybrid mix of every style. And he was just, he was brilliant with that. And also real life storylines, you know, Um, we did the first ever pregnancy angle in wrestling. We did the first ever um, LBGQ uh, angle with, you know, two girls kissing uh, got thrown off of every network, putting women in the main event. Uh, We did everything that was very, very in your face and and real life storylines. And I think, but the, the passionate fan base, you know, here, here's Terry Funk, this older veteran who, you know, and, you know, crying at his father's grave before he's, he's got his last shot uh, to win a world title going into a pay-per-view because it was, for all of us, it was real, you know, and we couldn't compete with WCW's big bucks or, you know, Paul, Paul was great because he branded the brand to be the most popular thing because we didn't have that money. And, you know, between Vince and WCW, they were the enemy. And We were just, and the fans knew that it was just we, the business needed change, it was right place, right time.
2: Uh, Tommy, when, when did you? Uh, I, I know uh, I was like, like John, I didn't watch a lot of ECW because we were working our, our rear end right. off too. But I remember you guys did a, a taping down in Florida, I think it's Fort Lauderdale at the War Memorial or somewhere mm-hmm. down, and that that seemed like the, the changing of the guard there when you guys were kind of backing off the violent stuff. Was it a TV deal where you were you you were told that you need to kind of back off the, the violence or was that just a, a, a evolution of, of your company growing?
1: It was the evolution of everybody, you know, we, hey, we had this guy who was drinking beers and smoking cigarettes to the ring. Okay, now WWE has a guy who's drinking beers, not smoking because Vince would have fired him, but uh, <laughs> drinking beers or everybody's breaking table they're all doing all these things that we're kind of doing. Cause you know, the, the business, we all kind of borrow from each other. So, um, we just kind of just had to change it up. And also, you know, with the players, you keep losing key players. You have to uh, adapt. I think the beauty of ECW, like, let's say when the Dudleys left, uh, the impact players, Lance Storm and Justin Credible, literally fit their spot in a heartbeat. And or the business when everybody's breaking tables, you, you know, Sabu was the first to use tables all the time and then public enemy starts using them once everyone's breaking tables, we actually stop breaking tables and make people want it, it it's just Paul was great with psychology he really was.
2: Yeah, he is. Yeah.
0: What, what could have happened to ECW to make it keep going or do you think there was always a finite shelf life of ECW.
1: Uh, Back then, I thought it would have lasted forever. Um, It was a lot of mismanagement. Um, We also, none of us knew Paul was kind of in the pocket of of WWE. You know, we find, I find all this stuff out later. Um, I I mean, hell. Most of the stuff we did was illegal. (laughs) You know, (laughs) at most yeah. (laughs) I mean, dude, seriously, like we look at the Sandman, Sandman would come to the ring drunk. If that happened today and somebody got hurt, how dare a company let a wrestler get drunk? Music, you look at what Tony Khan is doing in AEW, using commercial music was a big key that made ECW stand out, but we had no to any of that, you know? So there, there was just, I mean, fighting outside there. I mean, there was times, uh, I remember Ray Mysterio and, and Hoovy fought outside and Ray does a Rana off of a guy's car. And, and they break the guy's uh, mirror dentist car and his, his uh, thing gets broken. The guy's outside chanting ECW because his, his car was seen on television. If that happened today, you're sued fighting in the crowd, you're sued, you know? So we couldn't have gotten away with the things that we had gotten away with. And, or, like riots, like I, I, I've now learned that I have some severe PTSD because of the stuff that happened in ECW where um, I like to go to concerts now, but because I'm wearing a mask and I'm not seen. But I mean, I've told this story a few times. Uh, Beulah, she had her back against the guardrail, a fan grabbed her by the hair, pulled her backwards, and three dudes just start kicking the crap out of her. And this is a woman and all you'd hear fight. We come in the back. And what does she say? Because, you know, she was in the business. I got too close to the guardrail. Never do do that again. Or another time, Sandman had her on his, he's trying to get over the guardrail to go to the merchandise table with her. And he's doing the miss Elizabeth, Randy Savage pose. And then he can't get over the guardrail. So he flips her and he puts her like, he's going to power slam her but she's wearing a miniskirt and her ass is out. He gets over the guardrail and I watch this and I see a converge of men put their hands in every hole that she has start ripping her underwear. He gets, they pull her down and they're trying to do whatever they can. And then here came the ECW locker room and we laid out like 70 people because like, and then I yelled at her how dare you go with Sandman? And here was a girl who was sexually attacked by a group of people. And if this happened today, we would be be out of business.
0: Yeah, and justifiably so with that. I mean, just- Yeah,
1: but if you, you saying it and listen, I mean, your listeners are gonna hear this, that happened on a weekly basis. We had police officers pull guns and put and, and a police officer called New Jack the N word and the entire locker room emptied out. We're beating up police and they pull out their guns and we're like, "Shoot us!" This was a current, constant basis of all time. It was nice, nuts. Dude. Tell us
0: about the story of the day that Sandman died and then worked.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is the greatest story. Um. Okay, my first show, running a show without Paul Heyman. And it's packed. I have no Guido. I have no Bill Alfonso. I have no Rhino. I have no Sandman. I have no Raven. And I'm trying to refinagle the show. Guido's always working first. The FBI versus Meanie, and uh, the BWO. Um, eventually, the first match is in the ring. Here comes Rhino, and Rhino was a rookie. And very, very soft spoken. He blows past me. He's like, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, where the hell is he? And he takes, he goes in this, we go in this private room, he drops his bag and he starts crying. And I'm like, oh, these guys are, have been on him, on him. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm late. What am I doing? Um, these guys, man, I can't travel with them anymore. Sandman is dead. What am I doing? Like, what's going on? And I went, what? And I go, he's like, what am I doing? I go, Man's dead? And he goes, yeah, he overdosed in the car. And I, now he just told me my friend died. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't know. He's dead. But I think he's alive. In walks Bill Alfonso. Daddy, he's okay. We think it'll be all right. Long story short, they pull over. Uh, Sandman overdoses in the car. And like true pro wrestlers, they pull over and they drop him off at a hospital guido runs in says hey there's a dead guy out here gets in the car they drive away because you don't want to get caught with a dead person in your car (laughs) so we're trying to get updates i send fonzie back to the hospital to see if my friend is dead or not and the show was going on and then and uh they basically uh he wrestled that night when uh he had officially died uh of a drug overdose that's his story to tell but i had to go deal with it from my end
0: (laughs) so rhino just wants to know what he's doing and by the way Sandman's dead
1: hey it happens bro (laughs) <laughs> hence why ecw could not have existed today Tommy,
2: were you shocked that there weren't a more amount of injuries than what you guys had i know you guys had the the, the obvious nicks and bruises and cuts but i mean the things that you did uh, and, and uh, the crew and the talent did was just amazing to for guys to still be walking around and tell the story the jumping off the balconies i mean just, just insane type thing. Are you shocked that there wasn't more injuries, severe injuries, and and then basically yeah, more uh, lawsuits?
1: Lawsuits, one thousand percent. My biggest thing, I think, of uh, hepatitis and or AIDS. I mean, I used to literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine punch Raven, suck up his blood and spit it out to the crowd, and n- none of us were blood tested. And you know, by the how much the wrestlers were partying, plus, you know rampant, uh, I guess, sex back in the day, you know, we're talking the nineties. I think that's the biggest thing of how many, you know, people haven't gotten more blood issues back then. And again, and all that blood, all that stuff. I mean, I remember, it would almost become a thing. I'd be bleeding and the fans would hold out their ticket and I would put out my head and fans would rub their ticket on my, on my head. And it was like a rite of passage that, Hey, you were at the UCW arena. And, uh, you know, but how could you have all these men bleeding without being tested today?
2: Well, what was your most insane man, insane rules, match that, that you couldn't recall,
1: uh, the scaffold match that I had with Brian. Oh, Lee. I, used I always to get- thought
2: that was the dumbest thing ever.
0: There, there's no way to get out of that. I mean, you, you gotta hang on and fall and you look stupid falling. It just, it, to me, the, they want to see somebody fall off and take a bump on their head. And you can't do that. I just thought scaffold matches were the dumbest concept possible.
1: Well, we dumped it even more because we put a bunch of tables in the ring and I had <laughs> taken a lot. I took a choke slam from the top of the cage. I took a t- choke slam from every highest point of the building, which uh, led to, we have a scaffold match. Sandman built the scaffold. Number one, uh, <laughs> And we had this rickety scaffolding going up only one way, but he, if you go back and watch it, he chained this platform uh, to the top of the building, which was swaying once we got up there. And I was also afraid of heights, but Tommy Dreamer will not let you down. Uh, and you go back, I actually just saw a picture of it. We have the match, you know, I go over. Um, at one point, Brian Lee was ch- choking me with this black cord. And I'm selling, selling. Uh, I come in the back and Brian comes in the back and, and the owner of the venue, he looks at me. He's like, come here. And I knew him. And uh, he goes, that cord was all the electricity from the building. I have no clue how the two of you weren't electrocuted to death while you were up there. Brian just reached up, grabbed it and choked me with it. And I found a, I found a picture of it. And I was just like, wow, like you could totally see. It was a, a real live electric cord that he just decided to snatch out of the, the top of the building but we were hardcore so i could have survived the lecture of course
0: jeff hardy told me one time he goes i'm gonna jump off my, my brother's back clothesline me in midair and i said well, well jeff where are you gonna land and he goes it doesn't matter i go, it, it does matter <laughs> it matters a lot to me it made up to you sure enough i hit him and he landed like some crazy thing and, and he was fine it's just jeff hardy
1: he was extreme how, okay
0: how are you because you you're the same as jeff hardy you're like made of rubber or something how are you able to even get on a Zoom today? All the bucks
1: you took. No, I, actually, man, I'm very, very blessed. I, I feel great. I would always say muscles tear and rip, but fat absorbs. So maybe. That would, <laughs> um, I don't live a life of pain. When I get on a plane, I'm in a lot of uh, a lot of pain. Um, I also think it, it goes to. I think well, I guess uh, an amazing stat about me: I've never had a surgery. Um, but really, when I do, I'm you never mad. had a surgery. No. Nope
0: that's an amazing that is amazing
1: uh but when i do i'm gonna get everything lipo boobs i'm gonna get a whole new Tommy. you G. look
0: great with boobs i mean like
1: like deeds i mean like Well, i people. have i have i'm about a c cup already so i was
2: gonna say did you have them back in uh 2002? Yeah. <laughs>
0: they just hang
1: a well, lot that was, lower well, now i was
2: lay filled <laughs> so,
1: but uh yeah i don't i, I do a lot of uh Different things. And also, I think it goes to, uh, it's always, you know, wrestling or it's, I would always work out. I was always a gym guy. I know I train really hard to look this bad, which is quite sad, but it's the breaking down uh, of your body. I still, I'll wake up every morning and I'll do 45 minutes of cardio a day. If I could practice diet, I think I look a lot better. But it's, you know, you, you go through the motions as you're hurt. Um, there's a lot of things I can't do anymore. Like I can't tie my shoes without putting it up on a place and I can't put on my socks. I have to lay down on a bed and it's called sock Olympics. Hornswoggle loves it um, because I got to try to catch my big toe over my sock and then I pull it up. But besides that, I I've been blessed so like I said, I just wrestled three days uh, in a row and I love when I have good matches and I still kind of want to do a few more things before I call it a career. You had some fun when you style. have
2: your matches. do You go looking for
1: feedback after, even at this stage of your career, after, after a match. It, it, I do. Uh, I mean, especially when I'm working on television with Impact, and you you'll have your guys that you know you trust uh, that'll tell you the you know how you looked. You know, was I moving slow? You don't want to look like you know an old man. Um, but I mean, even I remember Terry asking me, and I think about what Terry did. He was in his fifties, and I was in my twenties. And he's hanging with all these guys, but he would be like, "What'd you think? How'd you how did I do?" Because he knew he had that, you know, rapport with myself, Shane Douglas, and Mick Foley. Like, you know, did I look old? How were my punches? You know, stuff like. And this is Terry Funk. Terry is so, very conscious of that stuff all of it. Yeah. And uh,
0: I think I think I think it was Buddy Landell that told me. Uh, you know, I used to come back. You know, as any young kid who starts in the ministry, you'd come back and you'd ask everybody in the in the dressing room how was your match you know most of the guys didn't see it but they'd tell you anyway oh it's great kid great 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 you know and they give you nothing of, of value as far as feedback and i think it was buddy who pulled me aside gave me some of the best advice i ever had he goes kid if you know you had a good match you know you had a good match he said you don't have to come in here and seek a reassurance from everybody in the dressing room. just makes you look like a green stupid kid he said find you a couple people you trust Yep. And he said, pull them aside, away from everybody, and ask them. That was a little bit different back then in the day in the dressing room. You know, now it's a little more accepted, you know, that, that going on. Now you have more guys standing at the curtain that are willing to help you when you come back through. Uh, but it was such good advice to, to not – don't come back and have to get reassurance from the entire dressing room. You see my match, you see my match. Just find you a couple guys you trust. Go up to them and ask them because they'll give you good feedback.
1: You know, uh, I just wrestled Friday. We're in a bar, had 400 people. And uh, I come in the back and Ricky Morton goes, man, your match was good. Why are you taking so many bumps? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, because I love it. He goes, I do too. And uh, this was after I watched his match. And I go, I dare you at 63 to keep on taking all these bumps. And I think he said, I'm going to be, he took three tackles from Connor of the Ascension and they told a great story but I'm, I've then realized Ricky Morton's watching my match and I'm watching his, and we're both giving each other feedback. And I said, I love when you guys are on the card, both you and Robert, because I'm not the oldest guy on the card anymore, but it, it, it's just, we both love it. And, and another thing that I love about pro wrestling, Robert Gibson, he's just like myself. I know I'm not the Tommy Dreamer I used to be. Robert Gibson needed help to sit down as well as help to get up. But yet when he got in that ring, he was Robert Gibson and was t- get, coming into the ring for his tag, just like Robert Gibson did, locking up, doing everything. And I was just like, I'm literally watching a superhero performance because I'm helping a man to sit on a couch, but yet he's out there and he's Robert Gibson. And I was just like, this is what I love about this business because, you know, you're, you can do incredible things in front of people.
3: NMLS number six five zero eight four Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with. But saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had. Pay off your credit card debt. And even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started. And you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com.
0: I know you see Ricky back in the day. You know, Ricky would sit in the back. He'd sit there and just smoke a cigarette. You know, he'd be talking and telling stories, and, you know, Robert's putting him over like, like the tag team partners do. And then all of a sudden, his music hits. He hadn't stretched. He hadn't he's barely laced his boots. He's just sitting there having a cigarette, and he goes out and wrestles 45 minutes, and the other guys are blown up, and he's fine. Comes back, smokes a cigarette, and he keeps talking. It's just Ricky he's had – Ricky, Ricky was so good in the ring, but he also had this God's gift of cardio. that was just unbelievable. Like a lot of those old timers
1: did. Yep. And he's dude, I, I tell you, man, I sat back and I watch it. And though they're missing hair and they're heavier, but I was like, that's still the rock and roll express. It was awesome. It was you're awesome dang scene.
0: right. It is. And those yep. boys drew some money. And yeah, still yeah. are.
1: Cause it was a packed house.
2: Rick, uh, uh, go, go ahead, John. I, you, I was
0: going to ask you something kind of a non-sequitur, but, uh, the, the, the hardcore stuff, Jerry and I are doing this, we do this thing we mentioned the best the best, we watch old matches, do watch alongs and talk about them. This past week we had uh, Tiger Jeet Singh and Terry Funk in the death match tournament, FMW over in, in uh, Japan. Then I think next week we're gonna do Cactus and, and uh, Terry, the, people say the greatest death match of all time. But when is too much, too much? You know what I'm saying? I mean, to me, this death match tournament, was too much. I mean, I'm not against death matches. I'm not against the hardcore stuff. I juiced a million freaking times, did hardcore stuff. I'm fine with it. But when, when is it too much? Because, you know, you talk about ECW and whenever I went to tables, you guys went back to, you guys went to wrestling. When guys went to wrestling, you guys went to something else. Uh, But the stuff with the death matches to me, I think can be overdone.
1: Yes. uh, I'd be a hypocrite and I say this all the time to, to judge people because I did some really, really stupid things. There are any, I could literally ask my mailman and my next door neighbor to hit each other over the head with light tubes and they could do that, but that's not wrestling. If you add, I guess, some psychology to it or build up to it, you look at, there's a uniqueness like people like horror gore films, but then the end of the day will always be professional wrestling. Uh, you, you look at the company, GCW, they'll do some crazy stuff, but they just drew a really good house, but in uh, the Hammerstein ballroom, but they had some really, really good wrestlers on there. And, you know, look at Matt Cardona, what he has done. Um, Joey Janela, there's, there's different stages of it. Uh, like those light tubes, they, hey, they're, 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 you have to dispose of them. Uh, particularly when you throw them out in the garbage because there's they cause cancer carcinogenics in them. and then people are busting them each overhead and breathing in those fumes. I don't think that is worth it when they're doing it at just you know a bar or or doing it somewhere. And I get it. Like I said, I'd be a hypocrite, but I just worry about people's future. and it's also then, okay, well, what are you getting paid out of it? everybody's hard work culminated at this big event for the Hammerstein. Cool. How are you going to pick up on that? And hopefully they can maintain it. And, but you need to have psychology, I guess, with that or or build to it. But uh, light tubes, man, they scare me because like Zach uh, Matt Cardona had a piece of glass in him for a month and had to go back to the hospital because Just like fire, glass cuts differently. You can't control it just like you can't control fire. And if you have a piece of glass that may have a a cancerous thing on it, guess what you just hit your body with? That's going to affect you in the long term. So it's those are some of the things you have to think about. And he ain't
0: Sandman. He ain't going to die, kick out, come back. No. <laughs> well, he might. He might. I don't know. Matt he might, is, yeah. He's very, he's very talented. So we, we never know. You know, Jerry Lawler died on air and came back. So it's not like that's completely Everything's been done order before. Order. Only, only uh, King would die on air. What a babyface would die on air, steal the main event thunder,
2: and then come back.
1: Yep, that's that's uh that's pro wrestling one on one right there.
2: <laughs> uh, speaking of dying, Tommy, uh, you know, at, at, you know, at, of course, you ended up with WWE, but during those final days of of ECW, could you guys feel what was going on? Could you feel that hey, man, we're not we're not too much longer for this this
1: this topic? Uh, there was always hope, and there was there's there's so many uh, stories about it. Um, there was always hope, you know, Paul uh we had come real close to getting on the usa network after wwe had jumped to spike if you remember that time uh spike basically lied to us well again i don't know because of paul's involvement but spike used us to get into the wrestling market and didn't fulfill their obligations also claimed poverty and then i think uh after a year found $110 million for WWE programming it was under their pillow somewhere. They hadn't seen it. And then we were without a television network, but the he, the guy who used to be the head of Madison square garden network would became the head of programming on USA. We were supposed to go there. There was so many different where well, we don't know what really was truthful or not because of Paul But we always had hope. And even up until, I mean, hell, the company was not running. The sad part was without television, without anything, we still drew two back-to-back sold-at-nights at at the Hammerstein. And those are the things that gave us hope. And we all, like, didn't think, like, you know, Paul was going to come through for us. But at the end of the day, like, I remember I actually went and visited – Bubba and Devon in Hartford and you know Bubba was like you got to come here you know F Paul he you know blah 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 and then driving home from an indie Paul called me and is like I'm gonna be on Raw tomorrow as the announcer we're doing this thing I'll let you know but I think he thought I got buzzed while I was in the WWE locker room that he was going to be there hence why he called and right then and there I knew it was over. And then we've seen him on TV, and, but there was still a lot of men and women that were still holding out because Paul was still, you know, wearing his, he was still being Paul, but he, he was still also hitting us all up saying, we're going to do this. I'm still trying to get us on the networks, all this stuff, but it didn't happen. It's all good.
0: We heard about, you know, the checks bouncing and you don't know how prevalent it was. How prevalent was it with the checks bouncing?
1: Uh, yeah, man, they, it just didn't happen. I mean was it every
0: week was it uh, ever fourth check was it I mean were you guys no, not, it, it not was all for
1: I remember Guido Guido uh, made friends Guido and Devon made friends with the bank manager and they would call us to tell us there was money in the in the account and go to <laughs> go to
0: cash <Pass> the check <laughs> Guido's awesome
1: to, He's awesome Go to get your money because it'll run out soon but, I mean, there was, uh, there was a lot of people. Uh, it was kind of at times where there were just no checks. You know, he would just make up an excuse that, you know, it, it, they're not there. Listen, I, for, I forgave Paul for all that. And it, it, when we say, you know, wrestling is real, when Vince McMahon reviewed Paul Heyman's performance on Monday Night Raw, because I had a lot of built-up, pent-up rage towards Paul, and Paul was just like, I had my, I did everything, uh, to keep it afloat just like you would. And I lied to people. I cared about blah, 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 just like you would Vince, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, eh, I get it. As well as, you know, me running my own wrestling company and coming close and getting like good deals and, Oh, this could happen if this happens and all these different things. And, and, and I did, I got it. And it, you know, I, I could be bitter and angry, but I'm not going to be because, like I said, I have a great life, Um, fans, I'll live forever on social media via, you know, Peacock, people tell me things I've done, how you affected others, but uh, I've been living my dreams since I'm 18 years old, I'm still living it, and and it's cool, like, you know, it's, I wouldn't be the man I was if I went to WCW, if I went to WWE, because people know me as you know tommy dreamer from ecw uh you know i'm on a number one show on sirius xm where we talk about wrestling and i don't think i'd be that guy because everybody that left ecw i kind of outlasted them all and it's that's your legacy but it's also what makes me tommy dreamer that's a lot about you
0: you know, it says it says a lot about you personally. I mean, you're a very smart guy, and you're very articulate, and you have ability to get over in different situations. And I think that's that's the appeal. Not necessarily, you know, what is what has happened. What has happened, you know, certainly molds what we are today. But ability, you know, ability tends to rise, and I think that's what's happened with you.
1: Yeah, I'm good, man. I mean, I love helping out in Impact Wrestling. I, I've helped out in AEW. I love when I went back to WWE, uh, feuding with the, the Wyatts. I don't like the some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, you know, my best part about WWE, like, uh, besides the people, but my last run where it was, was everything they told me was 100% true. And there was no deviation. I got, you know, to be back on television, tagging with Bubba, Devon, Rhino, working with the next generation with the Wyatts. My job was to come in, get this group over, and that was it. And if you know going in, what you, you know, it's not like, hey, you could be WWE champion if you keep on working hard. Cause I was like, eh, I always worked hard. So I love that. And, you know, like, like I said, man, I still, I, if I have a million dollars in the bank, I want two. I still make goals for myself, my, you know, and, and I still have. I have ambition to do other things that in the wrestling business, you know, where, Hey, I want to make money. I want this company to make money. Use, use me just as much as I want to use you.
0: I mean, one more question about the uh, ECW. I'm sorry, Jerry. I one more question. Got, go ahead. No, I want to hear it. Go ahead. The, when, when you found out that Vince was subsidizing Paulie. Uh, When did you find out, and was that a big deal to you guys? Because it was kind of like you against the world, you know, as Paulie kind of what I understand, at least, was making ECW, which is one of the successes of ECW. How did that affect you guys when you guys found out, and
1: when did you find out? I found out – it was 100% confirmed to me when I'm working in WWE. Uh, Paul said it on Bite This – which was Dr. Tom's show, and he just admitted it. And I was just like, "If you go back and if they could find it, I was just like, I can't believe this guy just said that." And I'm working in the office. We're getting ready for ECW One Night Stand 2005, and then like, you know, there were, JR has talked about it that Paul would get a check or his company would get a check, but I was well in the office for WWE when I kind of found out Shane had said, you know, stuff, I'm good friends with Shane, but it was just, I don't think we'll ever get the truth truth, but I mean, Jr. has said he would cut a Paul a check every week, you know? Uh, So like I said, great for Paul. Uh, Paul is great at what he does on the mic. He's, he's a great storyteller. And uh, you know, it's, I'm okay with, I'm okay with it all. It's not that it's, it's the business. Back then there was a lot of uh, hatred slash how could you do this? But I understood it now and I'm okay but, with it.
2: Was there a lot of bitterness and hatred towards Paul uh, at the end from, from the talent, you know, because of the checks and he was getting a check from WWE and- Vince Well, we, and we
1: didn't know he was getting a check, but-, no, but you guys
2: didn't know that, but you, you kind of said something was going on. I mean, it, it, you know, with, with, with the way the business was rolling there did Paul have a lot of heat at the end of the, of, of the, of the, of the run with ECW or did no, the guys really buying into Paul but, where Paul was the disciple. And he,
1: But he, he was like, he was now in WWE. So what could you do? And he's still like telling certain people that, Hey, we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. And, and heat is weird. There's people who, you know, like we were talking before there, there's people who say, I'm going to go kick his ass. And then people who actually go and kick his ass, um, so uh, here's what I said, and I said it on, on Peacock, everybody that was there chose to stay there. And some people, yes, just like myself were owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I, I guess I, I chose to be there and there was other people who had no other place to go. So you just kind of like hope for the best. And if you, I'll look in the mirror and say, God, I really need to lose weight. But then there's other people who'll be like, man, I gotta get a new mirror um you don't want to take blame upon yourself uh i i'll view it as if you get it watch a great detective movie where all these clues are in front of you and then like it's all revealed or it's the if your spouse uh has cheated on you and then you're like how did i not know and then like all these things come to fruition. And you're like, yep, oh, these are where it all like happened. So, but like I said, it's all good. I, I love, I love what I do. um, in, in the sense of dealing with younger talent, uh, talking on, on busted open, having my own podcast, it's all because of my experiences in because of ECW and, you know, I,
0: mean, uh, I want to ask you about busted open. I mean, you guys have hit the gold mine, which I could not be more happy for you guys. I, you know, I, I understand partially why, you know, you and, and Bubba, very smart guy, as you know, the business, Dave LaGreca, uh, a guy who's very thoughtful and very also obviously a very smart guy who understands the business. But what is the success? Why are you guys so successful on Busted Open Radio doing a show every day, which drives, which I find amazing. It's hard for me to do a show every day. Uh, we, me and Jerry love doing this, but this is once a week. But how explain this. How do you define this? I'm defined, How do you explain the success of Busted Open?
1: If you look at social media every day something about wrestling is trending you think of the world that we live in and, and you could talk about wrestling monday tuesday monday you talk about what's going to be happen on raw or what happened on the weekend tuesdays we review raw uh wednesdays we review nxt thursdays we review dynamite Thir- uh fridays we're we're talking about whatever but then we're going to talk about SmackDown and Rampage. And then here comes Saturday and wrestling fans want to armchair quarterback wrestling and where it goes. And the show is basically what, you know, if you think about football, the popularity of football, it's an analyst for people who've played the game and a host and they'll just, we have the interaction with the nation it's a beautiful relationship where, like today, when we're doing this podcast, Edge has just turned heel on AJ Styles, and it's nonstop where people want to talk about things. And then it'll carry over to what happens the next day on NXT, where you'll still have people talking about, or something that happens in the wrestling world, Cesaro getting let go. And then it's, it's another topic where it's must-talk radio, because fans have su- as you guys know, wrestling fans are the, are the, the most passionate fan base. And just like anything, you, you know, day of football, they literally start starts at like eight o'clock in the morning where they're talking, 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 then here comes the game. And then what do they do? Talk, you know, Hey, they just keep on talking about what happened. And as soon as those games are over, let's take a breath. Then we'll talk about next week, (laughs) you know, And, and in wrestling, there is no breath. It just, it nonstop happens. And there's so many different wrestling companies, so much stuff to talk about and and wrestling fans can't get enough of it.
3: Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance, super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skip the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands, on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com.
0: Yeah, and you look at what you mentioned with the NFL. That's such a great analogy because, you know, I love football. And analysis now has gotten really, really good. You know, you look at how guys used to analyze games. It was very superficial. Now you bring in guys who played quarterback, who were always put at the bottom of it why they are an expert. You know, four-time All-Pro two Super Bowls, whatever it is, but they break down stuff in an analytic way that the only way you could possibly know that is to be a coach or a player of that game. You know, and you guys are doing the same thing. You've got a couple of Hall of Famers here with Dave Agreca, who's very knowledgeable himself, just as you do on the NFL channel. And to me, people expect more from what they're listening to. And I think maybe it's because there's so much out there, what you choose to listen to, people are very particular about what they want to.
1: Yes. Uh, You also look at the popularity of sports betting and how everyone's talking about it. If you think about it, you have all the stats, you have all this information and information is key. You could, I'm going to lay down my money because I know what's going to happen. And boom, my team loses. It's the same with pro wrestling. Everybody thinks they know what's going to happen. And then once they get swerved, how could they do it? And we're going to talk about it and we're going to analyze it and we're just going to keep on talking. And, uh it, it's amazing how the show has grown but it's also I mean we have been talking for almost two hours because what we all love wrestling and I just think that's what comes down to it and you know between the two of you you have enough experience uh that we're talking to for two hours all about stuff that we love I, I it's just it to me it's a beautiful thing
0: You've got your Tommy. points on a lot of uh, what's going on right now, Tommy, uh, probably as much as anybody. Uh, you involve both because that's what you do daily. What do you see wrestling going forward in the next, uh, say, couple of years, five years, 10 years, or, or whatever time frame you choose?
1: The business has changed within the last three years so, so much. You know, we are talking about, If this was, I feel, five years ago, there would be a massive Russian heel uh, coming out out of
0: it. I'm still waiting on one. (laughs) I may dunk off my boots just in case they need one.
1: (laughs) It's not going to happen because you have to be smarter. You look at, like I said, you just have to go different ways to think about it. Everyone talks about MJF, how he's the smartest heel in in the business. cool because he doesn't have those parameters but you look at the money or everyone wants to crap all over the WWE look at the money that WWE is doing their business and you know the excitement going into Wrestlemania AEW helped change the landscape I think the business would have it's hard to judge because of COVID but you look at hey you know AEW outdrew WWE in this marketplace you you just got to see how the tide AEW has definitely changed it but COVID had changed it so you just have to see when I was pre-COVID it was open man and my company was I mean I'm doing great running my own wrestling company uh all these things and even though everybody's getting signed there's new talent to be out there now it's it's more of a um I guess a seller's market because there's so much talent available but once that talent goes to an AEW, the, the door is going to be wide open. And you, you just saw where everyone's still speculating about Cody. Where's Cody going to, you know, uh, show up for what, seven years? We were talking about CM Punk. And when CM Punk finally shows, cool. We have these amazing moments, but I mean, for it to be covered on Center, TMZ, it's, it's just amazing how the business has come. Once this pandemic is totally, over i think it's you'll have the greatest who's a draw how we're drawing what's going to happen is wrestling still going to be super duper cool you know you have new japan involved in a lot of this so it's there's a lot of a lot of ramifications uh coming up and i just see it more if you think of announcers they want to you got to call it more like it's real um a, a great team like a bobby heenan uh, with one-liners or even Jerry Lawler, it's not going to get over anymore. But if you have the one person who does it and does it well, that person would get over. It would add to a broadcast. But it, it's just – it has a more realistic form to it. But to answer your question, it's just – it's hard because of we're still in the world of COVID.
0: But Yeah, and, the, and the, the biggest question there is who's a draw? You know, how would you like to be champion during COVID? I mean, it's, it's about ratings, but how do you measure ratings? Because you, you're not measuring it to the 1919 Spanish flu, which is the last pandemic in the country. You can't measure that. So how do you measure a champion's worth? I mean, you know, it's, it's the worst thing in the world. You're out there in front of no people at one point, and you don't know who's going to be a draw until you get in front of those crowds every single week. And all of a sudden, you're going to have people surprise you, I think. You're going to have people, I think, disappoint you, I would think, as well. It's just going to be, it's going to, you're going to realize so much more about the business. I think you're right. Once we're done with this pandemic, it's going to be a true golden era of professional wrestling.
1: Um, Let's talk about Keith Lee. Keith Lee's debut on AEW was perfect because if I am watching that as a WWE person, I say, how did I let that person go? Because these people are beyond going crazy for him. And what could he have been in my system? And then I look at it from another point of view like drew mcintyre's reign was completely with no fans could you imagine the business that drew mcintyre would have done in the uk alone for the wwe that's right yeah or or bobby lashley um at a live event uh i like to go to you always buy something at a live event because hey i was there where are these t-shirt sales if i'm sitting at home and watching a bunch of wrestlers happen i'm not gonna go to my internet and buy a t-shirt because i'm home but you were part of the you know the attitude era where everybody had merch everybody had a sign uh, i think the business is on an uptick but we just got to see like like you said how do you dr- know what's a draw how do you go about to because it used to be asses and seats and merch and ratings how do we tell that for now and it's it's hard
0: yeah, it was very easy then because you had a daily uh, test case. You know, it wasn't like Walking Dead where you do a whole season of 13 shows and it's, it's, it's the third show. If something isn't working, you can't change it. You know, with wrestling, because you do live events every single week, you know from one week to the next is something getting over, is something not getting over, how much is it getting over, and that's what was missed uh, during COVID. T- tell us about, uh, Tommy, about what you're doing now with your wrestling company.
1: I'm not doing anything with it. (laughs) Um, Great. Thanks. uh, That that question. Great question, John. Thanks, Tommy. (laughs)
0: Great to see you,
1: Tommy. I don't want to say my heart got taken out of it. Uh, I know what it costs there. As you run a wrestling company, there's a lot of heartache and like, man, you come so, so close to making it. I was the first company to get paid for by Twitch uh, and and it was a good deal. And then just, you know, things, it, it, it is what it is, man. It, I'm okay with it, I don't know. Uh, I will tell you that when you talk about the future of the business, the future of the business, we're kind of in it, but I think it's gonna be more in the sense of, it's not gonna just be about television. Every streaming service and every platform of how you're getting your content out there is going to be key for your financial success. You know, you look at social media, social media engagements, how much money you're making from this and able to capitalize on tweets. I mean, when you have those views, when you click on JBL calling out Kevin Owens, there's a little advertisement right before that. And if JBL's, you look how many you have, your analytical data right there to say, hey, wait, we're on to something. JBL, you better start doing some push-ups because I'm going <laughs> to Kevin Owens. He need more than that. I better go. find
0: out what Bubba's on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But what I'm saying is you have your research, right? You can literally go to your phone and see how that tweet did. And if you know how to capitalize financially on your um, page, you get paid for that. And that's just like this podcast, uh, just like anything, YouTube all these different streams. We
2: paid for these podcasts. No, I was about to choice. say, don't tell Mister Briscoe that. Man. Oh no,
1: no, he's that. on the uh, ECW
2: podcast. plan. Yeah, we don't know, ignore that. I work for the Paul Heyman of podcast. Uh, podcast. <laughs>
0: that's right. I keep promising and promising uh, Mister Briscoe all kinds of things. I'll well, send you a cowboy hat.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Give him some beer; he'll be good. Uh, but, but I think that that's the future of the industry too—just different. Uh, streaming platforms and how you make your more of your money because it's not you know even I've, I feel Nielsen is an outdated system for ratings and that'll go away there'll be more data like uh, impressions like like I said your tweet we could see how many v- views you get you could see who it goes to there's there's going to be more DVR ratings because who really watches live television we DVR everything so I, I think that's That's the future of the industry, how you get all these other things. Like I look at AEW, they're putting out a lot of content. Why? They'll probably have their own library, you know, their own, you know, AEW network. I know Impact and I know their numbers of how many subscribers they have there to the Impact Plus and how it keeps on growing. Um, And it's just an amazing, amazing structure because once you have this thing called content, I could do something with it.
2: Yeah, it's the old Con. mantra: content is king. to yep. Tommy, uh, you know we're, we're talking about the future and everything. Well, let, let's take a take a long ride back. You you've had a, a legendary career in and and the major organization, ECW, major organization. I don't care what anybody said. They were major. They were they were they were talk of the entire country and entire wrestling world at one time. WWF what is your most memorable moment and in, in a two and, and, and where did it come? I mean,
1: uh, it's different as you know, you, you, different stages in your life. I, I would say Rob Van Dam and myself at Madison square garden. We main evented the garden that night. We were the last match of the night. And uh, my father, he was going blind. He had a glaucoma and he had a, a, a last ditch effort surgery to save his vision and he actually for three weeks of his life had 2020 vision and he got to see his son wrestle at madison square garden against rob van dam and he had perfect vision and then literally within i think five days after that he got streptococcus in his eye strep strep in his eye and he went completely v- blind in the one eye and had 10 percent vision in his other eye and he had Parkinson's disease. He, his last few years of his life were, were really, really rough, but my dad supported me my entire career. And he got to see his son main event Madison Square Garden, where we saw hockey games together, where we saw Jimmy Snooker jump off the top of the cave. <laughs> and that, that's a great defining moment for me. And I remember uh, I cried. And Stephanie was just like, "You okay?" And I was just sitting in the. I like to soak in all these moments because it's all very, very real for me. And uh, Stephanie's like, "You okay?" I was like, "Yeah." And I told her, and she's like, "You'll get more moments." And my favorite part about it, Vince then walks by. He's like, "Did you get hurt?" And I was like, "No." You know, I'm you know, just emotional about everything. And he looked at me like, "Are you crying?" <laughs> and it was just what it like the 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 hugging compassion of Stephanie, and then Vince was like, "Wait." You're not hurt, so why are you upset?
2: (laughs) I guarantee you, if you would have told Vince, is your your dad's? If you'd told Vince that story, he'd been right there crying with you. You're right; he
1: would have.
0: That's a soft spot to Vince. His family like that.
1: Listen, I think all of us here, uh, Vince gets a an entirely terrible rap. I think we all could, we did on Busted Open, told Vince McMahon stories, and you know he he doesn't like hearing the good that he's done he's done great i've had nothing but pleasurable experiences with vince i really do and even you know another moment is when i won the ecw title in wwe ecw um it was i do the only guy that had those titles right yep but for me it was like i i went to vince i was losing all the time and i was just like vince just listen man my contract's really up if you don't believe in me cool then just fire like i'll it'll be my last match and if not let me run with it. And he gave me that opportunity that night. We're in New Orleans. There was as many signs for me that night as for John Cena. And I was just like, you know, it was a great night. And we live for those moments. And I just talked to Terry Funk. And, I, and I'll tell you something that he said. I talked to him about um, I said, hey, I watch you and junior versus uh, Brody and Hanson. And I was like, God, the people loved you. And he was just like, you know, we were the first baby, the first Americans to turn baby face. And he was, I was just like, really? He goes, yeah, you know, we dropped a bomb on Japan and all the Americans were, were heels. And then they just got over on for us. And I was like, do you realize that like wrestling changed how people feel about other people, but like on a worldwide level, Not just in in a in a wrestling world, and he just paused and he goes, "We really did something, didn't we?" And I said, "Yes, you did, Terry." And he's like, "Huh?" And I was just like, "That's so." You think about that, or you think about just what happened in Saudi Arabia with Lita and Becky Lynch on a billboard. Wrestling has changed how people think in the world, and that's why I love to live in my. Crazy pro wrestling world because it, it the, the ramifications are are much bigger than most people will ever know. It's we real love up living in it with you. You better <laughs> <You laughs> well, a better
2: world to live in, Tommy. Uh, John, I got to say that 12 years ago, I had, I had started my first of my my four strokes. I'm laying in a hospital bed. I hadn't got very many calls at all. I'm going to say I didn't get any calls, but I ain't got very many calls at all. Phone rings and a hospital phone rings. I pick it up and it's Tommy dreamer on the other line. Hey, man, I heard you're in the hospital. I just want to call and, uh, and wish you well, man. Wow. And what a feeling. Thank you. Oh, thank you. That's man.
0: awesome. Tommy, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a heart-wrenching story. I called uh, his wife and I said, how's, how's Mr. Briscoe doing? And she said, Oh, John said he's uh slurring his words. It's, it's bad. I said, Barb, that's Friday. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, huh. my wife got it from help and Bruce and JR, Everybody called it. <laughs> well, that's just a normal day for him, you know. He don't know where he's at. He's learning words. He's laughing all over the place. Oh, what's different? What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, hey,
1: uh, just before you go, and and this is brotherly. I was uh, I w- Scott Steiner had a a medical episode and impact right before uh, the pandemic. Uh, he had a bit of a. He had a. I guess he had a heart attack and i'm i'm working on him with medics and they said you know he wouldn't be here if he wasn't at a wrestling show because they had the paddles his heart went into defib and i'm in the hospital waiting and i i see his wife and here comes rick and the doctor comes there and you know i'm now i'm i watched scott drop and I'm telling the story and they're like, okay, well, we, how long was he unconscious? And I was like, no, we were working on him, you know, pounding his heart. Um, The the medic was working on it and the doc's like, well, you know, we have to worry about, you know, loss of oxygen to the brain, if he could be brain damaged. And Rick chimes in and he goes, my brother's been brain damaged his whole life. (laughs) <laughs> this is while scott is still in like intensive care Brotherly and i just like this is the best so that's the same story that you two guys just Billy brothers
2: so that's what happened to lawler huh
1: yeah
2: that's that's what happened to king well tommy we can't thank you enough man for taking this time uh out of your your schedule today and i know we're busted open man you you're 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 hitting it hard man but we really appreciate it and the listeners out here they're going to enjoy these stories man they're they're genuine stories and Thank you for being a part of of, of, of of pro wrestling, sports, entertainment, however you want to call it, man. Been well, I, love,
1: I love seeing both of you, man. It really made my day. And we talked for two hours here. I hope this is a two-parter. Um, but I, I do uh, – the hardest part about the wrestling business, I, I literally saw you guys for four days a week, and then when you don't see each other, uh, time goes by. We're used to it, but we are – The wrestling business, we're we're a family, but we're a dysfunctional family, but I'm happy I got to spend the day with my brothers again. So thank you. Yeah,
0: we're definitely dysfunctional, but Tommy, we love each other and we love you and we can't thank you enough for coming on us. And we're so happy for your success with Busted Open, with Impact, with everything you're doing. Tommy, we're we're your biggest fans, we're your brothers, and and thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, Thank you, bro.